perfect all right oh, welcome everyone welcome to perspectives of change uh, i'm sadika karanda the host of your show uh, today is 30th july and we have a very special guest and a very special topic who i will introduce in a moment to all of us uh, just a little about the show and myself uh, i uh, am not just the host of perspectives of change i'm also a change hacker and change consultant myself i've uh, been working globally and helping enabling a lot of organizations move through transformations um as perspectives of change we are dedicated to not change forward by understanding and valuing multiple perspectives because we understand very clearly that our perspective as a change agent is just one of the many perspectives that we have with that i am ready to introduce our uh, guest of honor today we have sonsalas hey sonsalas hi sarika good to see you well delighted to have you with us uh, so i'm just going to give you uh, an introduction and i'm not sure if i'm going to do justice to it so please add once i have done an introduction for you uh so here's my introduction for sonsalas uh i understand she is a board member of the gifted foundation in netherlands and the foundation itself is working towards the emancipation of giftedness in the workplace uh she helps uh, cxos and other uh, founders build highly effective happy teams in 6 months or lesser and that's fabulous uh using different <laughs> systemic tools serious games and some secrets of dutch figure shit out and i have no idea what that is but she's going to tell us a little more on that okay uh <laughs> and yes she's based out of amsterdam and um yeah that's that's pretty much all i know about you sonsalas but add more tell me more i'm sure i i'm sure there's so much more about you no no that is pretty fabulous and uh, i am doing this today on behalf of the foundation so everything that uh, you have said is uh, absolutely correct and i must say that i am excited to be here but so is everyone in this foundation <laughs> so um yeah it's it's an honor to be here with you today and um you said about figure shit out artist what what that is <laughs> um this is my second career working with teams but i used to be a pianist and i did productions of contemporary music and we had to do a lot of stuff not just only playing the piano but also acquiring concerts uh, you know managing uh, productions etc 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 so we basically figured out anything that uh, we needed to figure out in order to uh, to bring a project to uh, to success maybe it's a good idea now if everyone mutes themselves to avoid um Yeah, I was just going to. Yeah. Yes. So could I request everyone just to keep yourselves on mute? Yeah. Thank you. But anyway, yeah. the 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 term was coined by uh, one of the co-founders of the Founder Institute. Uh his name is Jonathan Greeton. So uh, but I use it a lot because it gives a good indication of uh, you know <laughs> what um yeah. what some people uh, can do when it comes to learning new skills and figuring anything out so sure <laughs> oh well it's it's a catchy thing right so i was like okay you should talk about it i have no idea you tell us <laughs> <laughs> so a few words also to add on the gifted foundation uh, too as i understand the gifted foundation strives to educate organizations on 
complex problem solving abilities of your gifted employees and eradicate the misunderstandings around this capable and well-meaning population for both the betterment of human development and your market results, uh, which is amazing uh, because that's also what we need today. And that is why this topic is really precious to us, uh, where we bring to you uh, neuro, uh, neurodiversity in the workplace. And uh, it was an interesting start just as a context, right? Uh, I was talking to a customer and we had HR and uh, it was during these uh, interesting COVID times. And what happened is we struck a conversation on neurodiversity with the customer. And I put out a post on that on LinkedIn uh, with diversity index as a technique that I tried out from management 3.0. And Sonsalas happened to you know, connect with that. And then she was like, oh, so did you have neurodiversity as a conversation? And that just struck a chord. And we are like, okay, we should talk more. What's uh, what's with neurodiversity that, you know, why does it have to be a conversation? Why can't it be like a norm and something that we don't have to, you know, keep pulling out? So before I like dive into the details uh, with Sansalas on that, I think uh, Sansalas, it'll probably do good for us to define in a way, what is neurodiversity, right? And what does it mean? Uh, just to set the foundation and that should kick off our conversation. Sure. So a neurodiverse workplace is one that welcomes and leverages the abilities of those who think and perceive differently. That's it in a nutshell. So it's about thinking and perceiving in a different way. So neuro has to do with nervous system and there are different folks with different types of nervous systems. So that's, yeah. Most of people are neurotypical and other people are neuroatypical. Yeah. Right, and but that's, you, uh, please, no, no. sorry. Now, I, I was gonna say that if you look at the workplace, uh, it seems to be dominated by uh, those who are neurotypical and every, everything else tends to be uh, or misunderstood or rejected or both. So the goal here is to create a workplace in which both the neurotypical and the neuroatypical can collaborate successfully. That's, uh, that's the idea. Right. It's, it's interesting from my perspective because even if we don't bring these two types, I think we're all just differently abled anyway, right? All of us are differently abled in some way or the other, which is why when we look at something, we're always bringing a different perspective to it. So it just gets very interesting when we bring this whole typical and atypical aspects and then we're like, huh, we need to coexist and work together. So why the whole fuss about it, right? It should just be a normal thing to do. So Actually, that's a, yeah. that's a great thing to say because collaboration is hard regardless. So um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that brings me to the next question. So how did this connect of yours come with neurodiversity? Tell us a little about your connect with neurodiversity and then we take it forward. Yeah, so um, I discovered in my 30s that I was gifted. So uh, I actually didn't know it before. And it was only when I wanted to switch careers that um, I grabbed an A4 and I wrote qualities about myself that I thought would be useful for a new career. No degrees and stuff, but just qualities. And um, I was very lucky that I bumped into a career advisor and um, during a concert, by the way, and I showed him this page and he said, 
I have the feeling that I am talking to a highly gifted woman who doesn't know that about herself. And that was a godsend because uh, that day I finally understood myself and I could look back and see the many misunderstandings that I, I had gone through and also plain fuck ups, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so this was really a, a godsend. Um, so to define what, perhaps we should define what a gifted person is so that, because this flows yes. uh, nicely into uh, neurodiversity. Um, a gifted person is a combination of two things. Um, it's on the one hand, a high IQ of 130 or more. And on the other hand, what is called overexcitabilities or um, OEs, which is an abbreviation for them. Yeah? And this is kind of a funny translation from Polish to English because um, the term was coined by uh, Dabrowski, who was a Polish physician and um, psychologist and also psychiatrist. And uh, in fact, what it means is super sensitivities, right? That's a better word. So these overexcitabilities are inborn sensitivities, right? That indicate a heightened ability to respond to stimuli, right? And which are going to represent a real difference when it comes to the fabric of life and how someone um, experience, uh, experiences uh, uh, life. So um, in a way you could say that um, a gifted person's nervous system is like a sort of antenna that is uh, perceiving on many different levels at the same time, right? And this means that this person is going to see reality in a slightly different way, in a more intense way, and also in a yeah, more multi-sided manner. So I just said intense, another word for overexcitabilities are uh, intensities, right? So, and by the way, this multi-sided manner of, of, of uh, experiencing, uh, experiencing life is one of the reasons why gifted people are so good at solving complex problems. It's because we can see things from many different angles and we can zoom in and zoom out. And basically we are sort of system thinkers. You are very much into system thinking yourself. So, yeah. So uh, we see how everything is interconnected. Uh, and not everyone has that nervous system because, as you said, we are all wired differently and that is okay, yeah? But um, the issue is that, as I said before, the workplace is uh, dominated by the neurotypical, right? And everything else is either, either uh, rejected or misdiagnosed. And, um, and yeah, the, the, the key here is to foster collaboration between the typical and the neuroatypical. And by the way, the gifted are not the only folks who are um, uh, neuroatypical. There are more. Traditionally, the word neurodiversity was associated with uh, high-functioning autism. And today, we know that the gifted are also neurodiverse and uh, also the highly sensitive people. And I must say, this is a very exciting area of research and there is a lot happening right now. So depending on who you talk to, they'll tell you different things but some people will also include ADHD and ADD and dyslexia and a number of other labels in this neurodiverse um, uh, story. So there are people who are differently, neurologically speaking, but within that being different, there are also different categories. Yeah, so many types of nervous systems. <laughs> yeah. Right, so, no, that's yeah. very well uh, 
summarized on that uh, and added more to that, uh, Sonsolas. I just want to answer one question uh, because I think I missed setting that as a stage. Uh, but thanks, Monica, for asking that. Uh, I think, um, yes, you can. So the question is, can we ask questions? Uh, yes, you can ask questions uh, by chat while we are conversing. But we will leave the last 20 minutes just for Q&A anyway. And you can continue to type questions over the chat. And if I find something relevant right away, I will ask anyway during the conversation. Or if Sonsolas feels you know, she can pick up something and we'll already talk about it. If not, we will anyways take it up uh, in the Q&A at the end. But let's not hold the question with you. If you have a question, drop it in the chat so we already see it. Yeah. And she already has a question in what does Sonsolas mean, especially uh, by, oops, hang on. Uh, by gifted people or highly intelligent. I think that was answered, but if not, Monica, just uh, you know, drop a note if it wasn't and we will continue on that. So just wanted to let everybody know on the question. It was a relevant thing and I just had to pause the conversation there. So I'm sorry. sorry about that. No, that's okay. I think Monica could be referring to, uh, it is possible to, possible to have a high IQ and not really have these overexcitabilities. Uh, so some people talk about, um, you know, being highly gifted versus being highly intelligent. So the difference is, is, is it just high IQ or is it high IQ plus these intensities? But I must say most of the times when you encounter a really high IQ, you also encounter these overexcitabilities. Otherwise people look kind of, I don't know, suppressed in, 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 some, in, in some way. So. Yeah, but there is a distinction. Yeah. Super. Okay. So, so I think um, given these knowns about neurodiverse people and the teams and the workplace, right? Maybe a question that comes, uh, and, and I know you've been talking with a lot of organizations already on this, especially the work with the Gifted Foundation. I think I just want to directly jump into it now where what defines a workplace for an organization where this collaboration can actually coexist or yeah, happen? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I think uh, there are many different things that need to happen. Um, a lot of gifted people are not identified. They don't know it, just like I didn't know in my 30s, right? So obviously um, they don't have the language, the vocabulary to uh, offer resistance, so to speak, to the world. Because life, you know, navigating work as a gifted person can be tricky. So if you don't have the vocabulary, it's difficult. Uh, so that's one thing, but there is also a need for training in organizations, you know, like company-wide training in neurodiversity. Um, so those two things, but then we were talking about collaboration. I think we also need a, um, a new paradigm of power and a new paradigm of um, collaboration. Because, um, you know, we live in a very strange society. And we are supposed to be intelligent, but then if you are intelligent and you say it, then you are bragging or you are, you know, showing off. It's like you can never win in such a society, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so um, when you look, imagine a bell curve, and uh, in the middle, you have, you know, normal IQ, average IQ. You look to the left, you see people with cognitive disabilities. These people are going to look and think differently depending on the level of their disability, right? Sure. And they are going to get a lot of help. There are lots of programs to help them. 
But if you look to the right, you know, the, you cannot see it on the outside. Everyone looks the same, right? Mm. And there are many clinicians who are not trained um, to know that this high IQ comes with these overexcitabilities. So if you tell the world, you know, I have a really high IQ, um, the world is going to look at you like, oh, no, great. I feel awesome now for <laughs> myself. And it's because, <laughs> you know. So um, that's why I'm saying that we need a new paradigm of power and a new paradigm of um, collaboration. If power continues to be power over another person or, you know, of some kind of hierarchy, then we are never going to be able to collaborate uh, uh, together. Um, so um, I actually brought my mini figures uh, to show you what I mean. So give me one second. Let me see if I can move all this stuff without destroying anything. So, uh, ta -da. Okay, so I brought a team. <laughs> wow, they are micro mini for now. Okay, you're going to have exactly. to pick them up and get them closer. Yes. Can you see them? Much better now, yes. Okay, so unfortunately I have to put them back and because this is quite a <laughs> sure. operation here. <laughs> but um, look, let me show you something. Um, Collaboration, as you said, is difficult anyway, you know, whether you are gifted or not. So imagine this is a team. And uh, this guy here has a very high IQ. This is a really good uh, problem solver, you know, complex problems that is his thing. That person is going to have a very uh, high rank in that regard when it comes to problem solving. But you need more than that in order to uh, be successful with a project. For instance, solving conflicts, right? Maybe this person with his high rank as a uh, problem solver is not very good at solving conflicts. Now, that means that in that regard, this person has a lower rank. And maybe she is not gifted, but maybe she's really very good at solving conflicts, which means that in that regard, she has a lot of personal power and that gives her a high rank. And then there is someone else who is socially very intelligent, which means that he can influence people at work, he can find key figures who can support a project, so this person has a very high rank in that regard. So the way I define collaboration uh, is an exchange of ranks, right? Because you need all of these high ranks in order to uh, bring a project to, um, to success. So when you look at things uh, this way, then everyone can feel value for what they bring to the table. And, um, and then this is less threatening because, okay, that high uh, IQ and that way of perceiving, those are superpowers in me, but that's just one rank. There is much more. So when you work with a team this way, everyone feels um, uh, valued for what they bring, but something else happened, and that is that everyone starts learning from each other. So they start pulling each other up, right? And you end up with a team over time in which everyone has learned new skills that they didn't have before. So this is, this is the, yeah, a new paradigm of power and, and collaboration. This is really a, a, um, yeah, the, the, way, the way to go. And the systemic tools, which is what I use, that works really well for that. Yeah. 
So, oh, it's a it's a brilliantly uh, put uh, approach that you uh, put out there. I mean, no matter how deep one can be in it, I think you. It's very easy for one to miss the whole fact that these are different aspects, and we all have our own superpowers that we bring. Why not we just complement it with that to become successful as a project team? Uh, really nice. Yeah. yeah. However, I, I must say, um, systemic tools they 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 create magic in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. um, however, I do want to say that um, gifted people will thrive better when they are in the company of other people who are more or less similar. They also have high IQ, they also have overexcitabilities, so it will be an easier collaboration. Um, but as I said, a lot more is possible than what we see today. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. So I have an interesting uh, point coming out here from Maris. I don't know if it's Maris or Maris. Uh, no intention of mispronouncing your name, but you can correct me. Maris, it is. Maris. Okay, <laughs> but all's <cool>. fine. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so she, she says, I only recently discovered and still discovering that I spot problems and inconsistencies earlier than other colleagues. But every time this happens, I cannot spot it. I think they must know something that I don't. And my imposter syndrome comes up. Uh, I would like to practice asking whether the person X has thought of the problem Y or not thought of it. Uh, do you know communication methods or strategies from books, etc., that have been developed with which I can ask this without being perceived as arrogant, annoying, and exhausting? It's a very good question and very related to what you just said. So I thought I'll ask now itself. Yeah. So something that happens very common in the in the workplace is that someone will say, you know, this gift, this person. Johnny, uh, whomever, doesn't listen. And if you hear the other side, you know, they will say, the gifted per person will say, you know, my ideas are often not understood, but I am often right. <laughs> yeah. So um, if there is neurodiversity training in a company, then of course it is easier. But basically what I do also with my teams is I create a culture of self-advocacy, right? And that starts by really taking your place in the world as a gifted person. You know, I discovered in my 30s and I didn't tell anyone. This was a taboo. But just a, a short time ago, I thought, you know what? I am going to come out of the closet. <laughs> because in fact, it feels like that. It's almost like saying that you are gay. So I want to encourage every gifted person to come out of the closet. And to really, you know, embrace that personality or that persona and to start building the vocabulary that will help you have these conversations with your environment. So uh, in this case, you could talk to, to your boss and say, look, um, it, it involves, by the way, a, a lot of active listening, right? What you want is to make sure that you are understanding what the other person is saying, but also that the other person is understanding what you are saying. So it involves a lot of back and forth uh, uh, asking of, uh, of questions. Um, so, but if you do that, and I am aware that sometimes it takes a lot of back and forth questioning <laughs> before, you know, both parties are, uh, uh, on this, uh, you know, talking about the same thing. Uh, this is actually the only way. But the more you do this as a gifted person, the more you empower yourself 
and the more accustomed you become to it. Yes, there is going to be a lot of misunderstandings, but you just practice, practice active listening, you embrace that persona, and you don't need to be rude or anything, but you can start that feedback, you know, back and forth of, of questions. Did you say that? What did you mean? Oh, when I said this, did you think that I said that? No, that's not what I meant. What I meant is, it can be very tiring. <laughs> but relationships are tough. So it takes a, a lot of discipline to just go through that process and just do it anyway. And one day it gets easier because the environment also gets to know you. And they go like, oh, yeah, that's uh, Monica again. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It takes discipline and, and hard work. It's like all relationships, you know. It's, um, yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Maris. I just wanted to confirm whether your question was answered. So yeah, thanks for confirming yes. that. So there's another point I like what Inga is also putting out here. So she works with highly gifted adults uh, and they are often ashamed, afraid, and afraid to come out of the closet that you just mentioned about, right? So <laughs> that is so true, isn't it? Yeah, it is absolutely true. And uh, I must say, do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway because that will help you sort out your uh, work issues, but it will also empower every other gifted person to come out of the closet. <laughs> because uh, systemically speaking, otherwise you are always in the minority. And that's not a good place to be. Especially, I see a lot of women in the call. Uh, if you are a woman <laughs> and you are gifted, then you have even more problems. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, um, so I would say just feel the fear of coming out of the closet, do it anyway, and start this dialogue um, and see if you can uh, inspire someone at work to actually um, create a, a neurodiversity policy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You could be a, 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 a pioneer, you know, a lot of gifted people initiate stuff. So own that role of initiator and be the one who takes the initiative to go to uh, HR or to your manager and say, hey, could we talk about this? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's probably my other question, right? How do employers today, and of course, I know a lot of organizations and I talk to a few uh, myself where they are creating environments that are better equipped for people to have those kind of conversations. But uh, tell us something more from your experience in Solace when you talk with organizations, large, medium, small, and I know there are quite a few already in, uh, especially a couple in Denmark that I know of and others around uh, where you stay. So how are those kind of organizations helping create that environment where these conversations are allowed to happen and are more, uh, uh, how do you put it? Um, not, uh, maybe allowed is the wrong word. Uh, it's, it's more encouraged. Yeah, encouraged is the right word, you know, for people to come, so in a way for people to come out of the closet also and have those conversations, but also saying in a way that there is no closet, we should just have those conversations. And yeah. so how are organizations in your experience doing that today? Okay, so one of the most important things is uh, company-wide uh, training, because a lot of what it is to be gifted is being perceived by the environment as some kind of uh, you know, abnormality. I can give you an example. Um, for instance, uh, John is uh, full of energy, you know, comes to, to work every day full of energy, 
And uh, his manager is going to look at him and say, you know what? I am having a lot of trouble managing John. I think he has ADHD. And then there is Julie, who is completely unmotivated and, you know, inattentive. And the manager will say, I am having a lot of trouble managing Julie. I think Julie has ADD. And in reality, something else is happening. And so Julie and John, they are both gifted. And John has this, um, one of the uh, uh, overexcitabilities is psychomotor, which means that John is always very present physically and emotionally. And he's very driven to make the project a success. He doesn't have ADHD. And Julie is bored because the work is just boring. <laughs> so Julie doesn't have ADD. Julie needs more stimulating work. So let Julie participate in a more exciting project or go to a more exciting department or do many different tasks at the same, you know, at the same time. This specialization that we see in the workplace is insane. It's just a construct of the uh, industrial era. But centuries ago, it was just very normal to uh, do many different things and to do them well, all right? So that said, an organization who wants to take this very seriously is an organization that trains the whole of the organization. Um, they also uh, form, for instance, a, a neurodiversity board and they either elect or nominate or train someone from you know, a senior leadership to be on that board because change only happens when it starts uh, you know, from the top. Uh, but these companies also advertise with, um, you know, uh, we are neurodiversity friendly. So, and they also follow up on that. They make sure that, uh, that it is true. But it implies also changes in uh, uh, recruitment, for instance. Um, when you look at the recruitment process, it's right. just very rigid, right? It's always this CV and all these forms and this cover letter and stuff. Let people do other things, maybe a video, maybe a visual. Um, and when the person comes to the interview, also allow for other possibilities. Maybe a short placement, you know, a trial, a presentation would help the, uh, the person better present themselves. And ask also to those people what would help you present yourself in, a, you know, in, a, in an appropriate manner. Um, these are companies also uh, that create a culture of um, self-advocacy. What that means is um, they give people the possibility to express their needs, whether they are functional or emotional or social. Uh, what I mean with functional, someone can say, you know what, these open spaces, they look gorgeous. <laughs> Actually, I need quiet in order to perform well, right? That is being, you know, advocating for yourself. Um, emotional needs. A gifted person receives very little acknowledgement. Because the environment sees someone who does something with a lot of ease. And so if you have a culture of self-advocacy, you can say, you know what? I need acknowledgement once in a while. So give me some praise. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Um, these companies also create a culture of um, yeah, safe disclosure. You are not obligated to disclosure that you have whichever neurodiversity level but you can do so if you, um, if you want. And then they can also have a mentorship program. And then you have peers who can help you. And these peers, they can be neurodiverse themselves or not, but the important thing is that they are trained in neurodiversity. And 
Even the exit interviews are important. If you are a neurodiverse company, then you really want to have some kind of 360 feedback system in place so that you can really hear from the neurodiverse people how they experience working in the, right. in the organization. And, and then they need to really take the steps to make the changes based on, on what they learned. It cannot be just, uh, you know, some fancy feedback, <laughs> but uh, no, we want your feedback so that we can learn and that we can adjust from, um, you know, moving forward. So the, the, there is a lot of things that need to happen on many different levels. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, no, 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 go ahead. Otherwise, talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's it's good. I was just I was just looking back at some of my experiences and reflecting from all the points you were just saying and some of the main points, right? Uh, some people prefer those caves versus the commons or open spaces, and that is a need, and you just have to respect that need. So, also in the recruitment processes, I've seen okay, HR would look at eye contact, but guess what? For some people, eye contact would not work. That doesn't mean that they are not good, but that's because of the neurodiversity in them, right, as an individual. And, and that's very different. And how we define body language and eye contact is always, oh, so you're trying to avoid eye contact. That might be something, maybe not. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely wonderful that you say this because, you know, uh, one of the overexcitabilities um, is um, it's, it's called essential um, overexcitability. That has to do with sensory experiences, right? Yes. So if I have that overexcitability and I meet someone new, I have two choices. <laughs> I am either going to be looking at the person in the eyes and I'm going to try to be figuring out who that person is or I can answer the question. So if I am doing a job interview, I'm going to focus on answering the question, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> so, and often what happens is after you have seen the same person two or three times, then you can do both things at the same time and look the person in the eyes and have a normal conversation. But yeah, the first time, indeed, as you say, it can be tricky, but that doesn't make you a psychopath. Very <laughs> true. No. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I know you, you talked about training at the workplace and probably some aspects of HR. Now, question uh, to you Sansolas from your experiences so why why is this so difficult to make happen what is it that or can we as communities can we do something to make things easier for organizations or is it only the organization's responsibility where are we stuck in the whole process right why does this conversation become difficult to happen I know I'm just putting a lot of questions to you but you're probably already thinking at the back of the mind that okay uh, it's there but Okay, I'm just going to let you answer that, but you see where I'm coming from because you talk to organizations and there are places where people are stuck to make things happen. And, you know, you always get some negative stories coming out from the people who've experienced a different behavior or an environment. Yeah. So, um, many things. Um, being atypical doesn't mean being abnormal but unfortunately that is how things are perceived so we need to change the narrative um, in the case of the gifted as i said they need to come out of the closet and they need to develop a vocabulary to uh, you know to stand up to the environment um, i have this vocabulary right now but eight years ago i didn't have it so it takes a long time to uh, to build it um, 
then there is the, the new paradigm of power. I mean, no one feels inclined to help someone with a high IQ <laughs> because everyone thinks, oh, life must be so easy for you. Um, mm. So there are also lots of misunderstandings that need to be um, uh, removed in order for things to change. Um, and then there is this um, uh, tendency to groupthink in organizations. It's like there is an obsession with everything that is um, similar and a rejection of everything that is different. Um, but if you look at the incredibly complex problems that we are solving today, then this is really uh, kind of tragic uh, for both the gifted, but also for organizations. Um, gifted trauma is really a thing. There are people who cannot self-actualize their potential. But organizations are not self-actualizing their potential either because they don't understand these people who are different from them. So um, we need to rise as gifted. <laughs> uh, we need to find um, sponsors or ambassadors within organizations and we need to initiate conversations with them. And in general, we need to uh, think differently about power and about collaboration. And since you are a, um, an agile person, <laughs> since you work with agile, um, I am sure you're familiar with the uh, darkness principle. And the darkness principle says basically that um, each person only has one mental model of a problem. So when you look at the problems that organizations are facing today, if you have people in your uh, team who are wired differently, that means that the quality of your questions in regard to your problems is going to grow up exponentially. So you can have, you know, and, and then perhaps people are thinking, how do we organize that? Yeah, so I'm going to give you an example. Um, imagine that we have here, uh, I don't know, two hive functioning autists. <laughs> we have here two gifted people. We have here two guys with um, ADHD. And we have here two typical people, right? And they are building a product, right? Or they are solving whichever problem they are creating a new strategy. You can use systemic tools to let all these people work well together. So as a facilitator, I will stand here, right? And I would ask each one of these populations what it is to look at this issue from where they are standing. And everyone is listening, of course, right? Then I would ask the high functioning artists to leave this place and go somewhere else. And I would ask everyone else to go here. And then I would initiate a dialogue between them, the real high functioning artists, and the rest of the organization taking their place, right? And then I would repeat the same process with everyone. So I would ask the gifted to stand here and I would ask everyone else to stand in the place of the gifted and we would do the same. We would initiate a dialogue to see if you know, they have understood what it is to be in this place usually. So when you work in this way, um, you can create a lot of cohesion uh, in, in, uh, in a team and it is much easier for everyone to leave their personal positions behind 
and to align towards whichever goal they want to achieve. So, yeah, these systemic tools are um, fantastic. And they don't care about the, um, the uh, you know, I use it for diversity when it comes to um, nervous systems, but you can also use it for other types of diversity. It can be uh, skin color. It can be, uh, I don't know, anything. It can be different departments that don't know how to collaborate. So anything that's different, you can run them through this software, so to speak. <laughs> so, yeah. But this is this is a pioneering work. So um, this is not a very normal way of working yet. Uh, I do have the hope because I see momentum that this is happening more and more. So right, and yeah. and I resonate completely with you there, Sansolis. Uh, well, every individual has only one mental model, right? Because of a lot of characteristics, and it's our belief system that also drives those mental models, and. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole essence of perspectives of change where we say we have just one perspective. So everyone's going to bring a different perspective and we have to be able to understand and value everybody's perspective. And that's the whole point. And the approach you were sharing is essentially understanding everyone's that we understand the whole thing completely with every models and that gives us a full systems view uh, without which it'll be incomplete in many ways Hi, exactly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry uh, um, can you repeat uh, your last part please can you hear me now sorry I think I was losing connection uh, yeah that was exactly my point uh, can you repeat your last uh, points sure uh, I was just saying so uh, in resonance with what Sonsalas just said, uh, my point was, given that everyone has an incomplete mental model, looking at everyone's incomplete mental model gives actually the holistic view and a complete picture of that problem at hand or whatever change you're looking or any problem statement, right? Which is why you need those conflicting views to come together in a good way. And I personally promote uh, the fact that any problem statement or any change or anything at hand irrelevant of whoever is looking at it. Uh, I think it, you can have at least six perspectives to it. Edward de Bono will support that for sure, right? You have the six uh -huh. thinking hats. So why go far? And if that is true, and imagine the kind of diversities we bring to the table, even all of us right now on this call, if I have a certain view, Sonsalas has got a view, Harman, you've got a view, Anna's got a view, everybody's got a very different model where we are coming from, a mental model which is very different. And yeah. there's no one model which is going to be correct, right? We might want to build on each other's model to build a perfect model. And is that still going to be perfect? Well, ish, perfect-ish is the word we're looking for. You don't want perfection. You're looking for something that's going to move you or nudge you forward uh you know in some way so yeah so does that yeah that's that's the whole uh, whole system thinking that really then comes to picture that take a look at the whole view and i think that's it's very different from where you're looking at it from and if i'm looking at it from here from my belief system from my point of view from whatever superpowers i have is going to be very different from what um, I don't know, Chris is looking at maybe, or Sonsalas again is looking at. So yeah, just, just resonate and support there. Did, did I, uh, 
I, I tried to elaborate my last point, Herman, but did you hear it this time? I thought I didn't lose connection now. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, this is a really good explanation. You want to put all the mental models on the table so that you understand the problem from many different sides, and then you can cherry pick the things that will help you move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the nice thing about this is that um, you know then you don't need consensus. When there is consensus in an organization, someone is always going to suffer because what they thought was good is not going to be done, it's not going to be implemented. So this way of working is differently, you know, it's like you put everything out there and then you start aligning. And because people become aware of all the dimensions of the problem, then it's easier for them to leave their personal positions behind and, and really move in a new direction. It's a much more gentle way of, um, of agreeing to something than consensus, which always makes someone very unhappy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm going to pause our conversation. I think there are lots of questions that I was taking a look very quickly. So let's, let's get to the Q&A piece because I think they're, they're probably going to add more meat into the conversation. So I'm just going to grab one by one. Uh, no particular order, people. So please uh, forgive me already in advance. I'm just going to grab what I see first, OK? Uh, OK, so this comes from Jasper. Uh, Hi, Sarika and Sonsalas. Using a systemic ritual approach as the last one uh, also uncovers other lower level interactions. Would you like to comment on that, Sonsalas? What do you mean with lower level interactions? Maybe you can. Yeah, if you yourself. just unmute yourself, Jasper. Um, for me, it is really uh, coinciding with the, the, the idea of systemic rituals. Uh, so, the using, so from an organizational point of view, but also from a psychological point of view, you can. Uh, figure out how things are working in your family or your own interaction with other people or in your work uh, using not the normal talking yeah, so you, me, people around you and your parents but also lower level of older things and <clears throat> so it resembles for me just the last I, I entered later so, so therefore I referred only to the last one you clearly have this, not only that somebody can see from their point of view to, to the other one, so from the artistic to the gifted or all the other combinations, but at the same time, you're also putting the, the whole process for making this thing, what you pointed out, on the table. And um, all the other ways of relationships are also then coming into the field. Yes. That was for me the recognition. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. So, as I, I use the word ghosts. Sometimes I know that there is something that is having an impact on a team and it's not being spoken about. Yeah. So, I ask that question often. Hey, I have this feeling something is not being said. What would that be? And then there is a pause. And I wait really long until someone says something and then it's when you come into what you are describing right now because yeah definitely you know in the case of organizations um uh, an organization can get for instance a new ceo and yet the problems that they are experiencing 
have to do with the fact that they are still loyal to the previous CEO. So you need to bring that into the field, as you say, because that old older CEO is not there physically, but it is there influencing everything that is happening in the, uh, in the organization. So yes, I, I work with these elements too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to see Brilliant. that, uh, that you recognize this. Yeah. Okay, I have another one from uh, Maris. Uh, when coming out of the closet, how to prevent as an individual employee, the other person, for example, a boss, who starts projecting incorrect things on you, like you are a know-it-all person, you are probably too sensitive and therefore you are instable. I once talked about sensitivity and I felt this was not fully understood. Yes, okay, so, um... <laughs> I would say if you are going to, <laughs> I would say that um, you know I am an entrepreneur, so for me it, it was slightly easier to come out of the closet. I live on social media and um, I can say what I want because I don't have a boss. And when I say what I want, I in fact can attract my the right clients because you know if my those who find my message resonate with them. Those will be happy to read well. So if you are working for, for an organization, I would say you don't need to come out of the closet like in one go, like boom. <laughs> so you can compare it to a swimming pool. You know, you taste the waters and <laughs> somewhere um, with your friends or in a Facebook group or with your family. And then you start gathering feedback. You see what happens. And you start building yourself up until one day you can go to your boss and say, you know what? <laughs> hey, <laughs> look at this. <laughs> so, um, it, was that helpful? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but just yeah, get I think, started uh, somewhere. Yes. Just experimenting a bit and, and uh, getting feedback or seeing faces and see what works and what doesn't work and exactly. uh, with what kind of people it works and with whom not and yeah or perhaps change your vocabulary a bit or yeah yes okay thank you <laughs> yeah and that uh, the word vocabulary brings me two questions uh, so there is that special vocabulary again of where does it consist of and another question which says, can you give a few examples with this new vocabulary that you've learned in eight years? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh my God. Okay, so... Um, and and you'll right, have so, to keep your answers short because I still have a lot of questions to go through and they're fantastic and I'd love to go through all of them. So go for it. <laughs> Yeah, so imagine in the, in the event that someone says, hey, you don't listen, because that person thinks, okay, so Solis is not understanding, yeah? So I could come up with, uh, you know, um, I actually think that uh, my ideas are not being understood. And uh, I am often right. And, you know, you can take it from there. <laughs> you need to wait for the reaction of the other person, and then you take it from there. Um, but vocabulary means also uh, learning about the overexcitabilities, right? Um, there is also another word that is um, associated with giftedness, and that is entelechy. And that means this inner drive, almost rage, 
to really be the best possible version of yourself. And a lot of people experience that as anxiety. So I can now stand up for myself, you know, and I say, oh, yeah, I have read it before. And I know that some people think that I have anxiety. In fact, what you are seeing is my drive to be, you know, the best possible version of myself that I could possibly be. So it implies a lot of reading and a lot of um, practicing with, with, uh, with your environment. Um, but the vocabulary is, 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 is I mean, I read a lot um, before um, being able to build this vocabulary, but then you need to practice. You have the vocabulary, but next time someone says something weird, you're gonna feel it as a punch. And that is the moment when you really need to start, okay, wait, let me practice what I just learned. <laughs> And it might go wrong many times, but you do it 10 times and one day you are standing there facing the world, you know, in a, in a better way for yourself, so you feel more empowered. So there is no easy pill. You need to read it, you need to practice, you need to feel many times and, and one day it starts to work and then you feel stronger. So, yeah. Uh, does that answer your question, uh, Ellie and uh, Miriam? Okay. Okay, I have another question. Uh, how about a portfolio instead of a CV? Uh, I read about image thinking and those are advised to use a portfolio to present themselves instead of a CV. Sure, but it's only going to work if your interviewer is uh, you know, aware of these different styles of thinking and perceiving. So if you present this to, um, I don't know, a very bureaucratic organization, it might not work. They live in a world of command and control and everyone is the same and groupthink and blah, blah, blah. Then you cannot come there. So as a gifted, gifted person, you also need to select the organizations that you work for. And good places for you to be are places where true innovation is um, desired because those will be a little different. Otherwise you're going to bump into very rigid structures and you are going to be uh, hurt. Even if you make it you know, through the process, you are going to encounter those uh, structures inside and, and you are going to have yeah, a hard time. So I would avoid that. So be selective with who you work for. In the Netherlands, there is a man putting together a list of um, organizations that are um, giftedness friendly. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I saw a big one, ASML. Uh, they are in tech uh, and they are also doing something with giftedness and kids. It's, I think it's an educational project. So, um, so yeah, do a bit of research and, um, and look for places where there is movement and, and not because yeah, you're going to suffer. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, okay, cool, thank you. Uh, I have a question. Uh, okay, it feels to me that when we try to come out of the closet, the competitiveness makes harder for us to be understood. Like if people would feel better if we were not there, or if we weren't really good, so they can remain not so available to understand us. Yeah. Okay, I, I missed part of the question. Can you say it again? So 
uh, how about this uh, anna could you could you just unmute yourself and say the question yourself that will probably be more bring us more clarity uh, that was like a commentary it was when we were talking about how to talk about uh, how to come out of the closet and how to express ourselves to the workplace and then i was um thinking it was a commentary like uh, i would like to make it but i i am afraid because um i feel uh, it feels to me like uh when we uh, like when we are can solve some problems people cannot solve these problems when we see something different it's like i don't know if it's something not only the 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 fact that we are usually misunderstood but also i think there's something more like if there's that uh common uh way of, of thinking and when we are different like it's very easy for people to um um afford one and another like if uh I, i'm sorry it's difficult for me to express but like if uh they support each other from not uh understanding us and okay she's different uh crazy and yeah. like if this difference uh, besides everyone is thinking the same or doing the same, this difference makes it more difficult for people for, to understand. Not because they couldn't understand, but also because they don't want. Don't want to, yeah. yeah. So if you're feeling this fear, I would say honor that fear because this might not be the place where you can do this. Uh, you might be able to do that you know, for another employer. And I would advise to start doing it in other places right and um, what you say is um, it's a common problem because imagine um, imagine that you are a, a basketball player and you want to play for the NBA you will only make it if you are very tall and we accept that as a society unless I am very tall I cannot play for the NBA but when we are talking about intellectual ability, then it's a different story, right? So, um, so yeah, I, I would say acknowledge that fear and uh, maybe this employer is not, you know, the place where you should start doing this. Uh, you are very young for what I can see, so you are going to have many more, more jobs, <laughs> I, I would say. Um, yeah, be more selective. Um, perhaps about the places where you work so that you, you know, can come in more as um, yeah, your full self, you know, the whole of Ana Luisa. Uh, so, um, yeah, but it takes time. You're very young and there's a lot coming. So just hang on. <laughs> okay. In the interest of time, and I'm sure everyone's time box quite a bit. So uh, first Ana Luisa, if was your question answered to the best yeah. that you could. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to take two more questions uh, and for the ones that we don't answer, I'm hoping because in registration we have everybody's email, so we'll probably even write back to you. So don't worry about that. Uh, but if you all have time, then of course, I'm happy to continue because this is really great conversation. I don't want to miss anything. Okay. Uh, one question from Herman. Uh, what are the ingredients to reform your working place as an employee and as an employer? Probably parts of it were answered in a way, but I'd leave it to you, Sonsolis. So can you repeat the question again? What? Uh, 
Sure. What are the ingredients to reform your working place uh, oh. as an employee and as an employer? As an employee, uh, coming out of the closet, acquiring the vocabulary and finding uh, possible sponsors within the organization. You know, people who could feel kind of a resonance with what you are saying. Uh, that would be very important. Um, and the workplace, I am not going to repeat them all because it's quite a, quite a lot of them. <laughs> but uh, it comes down to having, I will repeat a, a few of them, um, having company-wide training, uh, nominating or training someone from senior leadership to take seat in a neurodiversity board. That would be very useful. Um, creating a, you know, a psychologically safe place where people can advocate for their needs whether functional, emotional, or, or, or social. Um, reviewing the recruitment process, um, yes, so that more is possible than a CV and a cover letter and an interview. Um, and um, training HR, that is part of a company-wide training, but HR, line managers, um, all these people need to be, um, yeah, aware of what neuro neurodiversity is and um, and uh, and work with it and yeah so that's those are i think that the most important ones Armand, does that answer your question what i miss a bit is like examples like how should such a conversation go like what should you say to your manager like i'm um i'm extraordinary and in solving difficult problems give me those or and um i miss a bit the the the, the actionable things you can do here and now you can do today like what kind of conversation should you have how what is needed uh i mean the things a lot of the things you say like company-wide trading in neurodiversity i cannot arrange that today okay like so so on a small scale how can i do that for for myself and yeah. and if i'm an employer how can i make sure uh, my employee feels safe to come to me well yeah. to, to tell well yeah yeah. So I, I will say two things for now. Uh, don't go anywhere saying I am extraordinary because uh, <laughs> that will not be a good, uh, uh, you know, uh, door opener. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that will be one thing. Um, and if you are not in the position to go to your boss right away, for whichever reason, start in other places of your organization and see if you can create what they call drag flag. In, in, uh, in Dutch, right? Uh, so start with other people. Look at your friends, the people who, you know, you can hang out with at, uh, at the office and start dropping hints and see what happens and take it from there. And um, yeah, I don't know, what is your role today in your organization? <laughs> at the moment, uh, not. <laughs> Okay. No, okay. no role. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah, uh, the way we are organized today, um, 
if the difference in position and power is too high, if your boss is up here and you are just at entry level, you know, you might not, <laughs> of course, this is not possible, but you can start smaller and you start creating, you know, a web of people who could support you. And then maybe someone with a, you know, higher positional uh, 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 rank will uh, be your advocate and will take the matter to, uh, to the big boss. So you can find for other ways. You don't have to go there in a straight line. So, yeah. Cool. I'm just going to do one more question and then we should wrap up. Uh, that one question I think will apply for everybody. Uh, what's some good literature on this subject? Any reading material, any books? Um, yeah, uh, there are many books, of course. Um, an interesting one is um, a book called um, Misdiagnosis and Dual Misdiagnosis of Gifted Children and Adults. And there's several authors. One of them is Webb, W-E-B-B. -B. Uh, that's a good book. There is a great book by a Dutch author called uh, Franz Corten, and especially when it comes to the workplace, that would be a very useful book um, that will give you a lot of mirroring. And then, of course, there is a lot of traditional literature, um, but yeah, where you can learn a lot about the overexcitabilities. Um, I read one of them. I don't remember the author, but I can look it up. And, and yeah. How would we do this, Sonsolas? Because uh, I will send um, an email after to everybody who's joined us today. So how about we consult, you, you send me a list and I will email that out to everybody. Sure. Yep. Super. All right, people. I think we are now moving way right in. I'm sure we can continue this conversation for the next one hour. I still know there are quite a few unanswered questions, but... Uh, you have my word and Sonsolas's word. I will vouch for her word too. And she's here already <laughs> vouching for it. We will come back to you with the responses. In fact, we'll just send it out to all of you. So you all get to listen into the answers. And that's based on what we understand from the question. We'll try and do our best for that. So, uh, but thank you very much for joining us on the show today. And very importantly, for making it super engaging with our Awesome guest here, Sonsolas. Thank you very much for joining us. And I think I've learned a lot already. So I'm sure with the kind of questions I was getting, I was like, how can I do this in that organization? And I was already getting better ideas myself. Uh, so this was, this was really fun, very engaging. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, I think you have been brilliant. And um, I really thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart, <laughs> also in the name of the uh, foundation for having us here because we really uh, take any opportunity that we can to, you know, advocate for um, yeah, the emancipation of giftedness. And um, so we're very grateful that, uh, that we were able to do this. Thank you. The honor is totally mine. So thank you. Uh, so uh, yes, uh, uh, this podcast will be out uh, by the weekend. We generally do not chop off anything. So it just is put as is. Uh, you can follow it on Perspectives of Change. That's the perspectivesofchange.com is our website. And you can follow us on Twitter. It's at CNG Perspectives. I will send out all the details over email uh, tomorrow. And uh, you will have this podcast also available to watch. 
uh, on SoundCloud. I'll send you all the details over email so you won't miss anything. And if you'd like to share it uh, with other colleagues and friends of yours, please feel free to. It's uh, something we do for the community. We'd love for people to join us. Uh, do stay posted on our next events too, where we will have yet another awesome guest. Uh, so until then, thank you. And I like to uh, close with a post. Um, uh, a short quote actually, which comes from Anais Nin. Uh, well, life shrinks and expands in proportion to your courage to make change. So have all the courage. Let's make some change and let's make the change stick. Thank you. Have a good evening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Sarika. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Bye. Yes. Thank you.